0: Scott. And I'm Seth.
1: And this is track walking. Uh, we're, okay, we always do it live because we're real human beings and stuff, but we're trying to do this Instagram and face, Facebook thing, but I'm pretty sure only anybody can just see and hear me because I'm not apparently very technically savvy when it comes to this sort of thing. So Hi, Seth.
0: Hey, Scott. How are you doing? They're just going to hear your side of it, which will be fantastic. I can say whatever I want, and it's yeah, like I'm invisible for another month until we release it. And just watch
1: <laughs> everybody leave, because this jerk.
0: <laughs> that's okay. They can still ask us questions. So that's all you they need can. to do is, they can. is ask everybody to ask us questions.
1: So Instagram, if, if you have any questions <laughs> or uh, topic ideas or anything like that, we are... Uh, open and available for suggestion. Facebook, same thing. Uh, feel free to get at me, bro. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll do a thing. Maybe I'll watch me. Nope. Can't do that. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> Seth, you said uh, Grassroots Motorsports had a few things.
0: They did. There was a few questions. Um, okay. And we have to decide how deep we want to get into this. The the initial question that somebody wanted to do was um the the traditional best car worst car that you've ever owned yeah and why and sort of like like what was good and what sucked that kind of thing okay um and i don't think we've covered that on the show before so if we want to to do that i'm i'm sure like everybody in the audience is like oh scott's best car and worst car must be the pt cruiser
1: (laughs) everybody hates the pt cruiser (laughs) Uh, yeah i've got i've got Jake commenting on my backdrop this is this is how to keep a very tiny room quiet and uh you know it works
0: Yeah, it's the the zebras in the background are are fantastic, and I'm so glad people who have been listening to the show now get to look at the zebras that I get to look at behind Scott every time we do this. All you can
1: do is just look at it.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: Yep. So um, yeah, so we got a question for best and worst car we've ever owned, Um, Seth. Best car you've ever owned.
0: Best car I've ever owned. Best all-around car I've ever owned is certainly the the Cadillac CTS V wagon. Um, Cadillac CTS
1: V wagon. I'm I'm repeating it because of the live thing. I might do yeah. that from time to time, and I apologize.
0: That's okay. It's uh, it was it was a spectacular automobile, in in every sense of of everything. It was just really really good.
1: Those are one of the unicorn cars that are just supposed to be like it's it's kind of the question for me is like if there's one car you could own and only one car kind of forever what would it be and I think for me at least the CTSV is right up there
0: yeah and I'll probably be sad for the rest of my life that I, I sold it and I'll never want to pay the money necessary to buy one again but I'm very glad that I got to to own one you know I bought it new um and was able to to own it for three years and like 35,000 miles and do a one lap with it and a bunch of track days And then sell it for $500 More than I paid for it brand new So that was you like sold it for
1: more, You sold it for more than you bought it for And how yes. long did you own it?
0: Three years You owned it for and three, I bought three it, years And I bought it new from the Jesus. dealer And I sold it for more than I paid for it That was the weirdness that was The, the CTSV wagon at the time So That's crazy um, so, yeah, that's got to be the best car ever. What's your, what is Scott's best car ever? Are you showing us a picture here?
1: I'm showing them you.
0: <laughs> oh, you're showing them me? Yay. Yeah. Hi, everybody.
1: Yeah you, yeah, you can't hear it.
0: You can't hear it. There it is. There he is. This, this is so confusing. So, yeah, this I'm is,
1: here. This is technology meeting technology. A picture inside a picture right there. Inside a picture, inside a picture. Uh, best car I've ever owned. Uh, yeah. It's strange. I think. Honestly, I would probably have to say. I I first of all, I haven't owned that many cars, so I. Um, I have a limited pool to pull from. But I think really the nicest car or the best car I've ever owned is probably the Honda Fit, (laughs) to be honest.
0: I love Fit so much. I had to go get my my daughter's inspected today. She's got a 2012 Fit. And so I got to drive it again. And it is like such an amazing, wonderful car. Every time I I get in it, I think that's all I need to own is I need a driveway with like five Fits in it. And then my life would be perfect.
1: It was reliable, like do an oil change and that's really about it. Uh, got great gas mileage for what it was. Um, it was happy to be driving at 25 miles an hour. And the amount of stuff that you could fit in it was absurd for as small of a car as it was. I mean, it was just a fantastic car in that sense. Um, The reason why the PT Cruiser was not my favorite was probably (laughs) my own fault in that how much money I poured into that stupid car. Um, (laughs) I say stupid just because... um, All right, so I owned a PT Cruiser GT, which meant it was the turbo version, which had the motor out of the neon SRT4, uh, had a better transmission though so it didn't break all the time and I did all the bolt-ons full suspension bushings coilovers, sway bars um, I even shimmed the rear axle so I could uh, adjust the alignment <laughs> of the rear tires I, I was I went that deep uh, front mount intercooler hard pipes turbo uh, intake manifold Exhaust like full exhaust everything it it was it was a insanely mad Stupid waste of money and that car brought me much joy and very much poor things (laughs) Because I spent a lot of money on it did
0: doing all of those things actually make it better Yes Okay,
1: yes, it actually made it fun to drive
0: yeah, at least you can definitively say that because sometimes you spend a yeah. bunch of money on a car and you get done and you're like, cool, I ruined it.
1: Yeah, the, the power, honestly, the power, it was fun, but it took a lot of like you had to drive it a certain way <laughs> just right. around town and like that didn't make it better. But the suspension totally made it better. Okay. So basically that's why I think the Honda Fit was my favorite car because out of the box it was just as fun to drive and you just took the power away so you could drive it flat out all the time and it didn't <laughs> care. Right. So all
0: right. Uh worst car
1: you've ever owned.
0: Worst car I've ever owned, I bought a nineteen I think it was nineteen eighty seven Land Rover Range Rover.
1: Eighty seven um, Land Rover Range Rover.
0: Range Rover and uh i bought this from a guy in new york and went to new york to get it this is why i lived in the upper peninsula michigan so range rovers were thin on the ground and i somehow decided i needed one desperately um because i was like 22 and stupid and um so i drove to new york and got it and it was a little bit rusty which sounds weird considering they have a <laughs> largely <laughs> aluminum body and um, When I got it back, I figured out it was super rusty and had almost no oil pressure and most of the electronics didn't work and on and on and on. And it was basically the biggest piece of crap ever. And that was on me, really. Um, I don't think they were fundamentally terrible vehicles, but by the time I got it, it was just Garbage, um, and there was no way to make it not garbage. It was too far gone. Um,
1: yeah, I've I've heard the the Range Rover Ra- Land Rover Range Rover. It's just a lot of Rovers in the name.
0: Well, it is. Like but at just... the time, at the time I owned a Land Rover Series One as well. So people would be like, "Oh, that's a Land Rover," and I'm like, "No, no, I need to be the Land Rover nerd and tell you it's a Land Rover Range Rover," and people would punch me and you know normal stuff. Yeah, I was that guy. I I was I was that guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know uh, Andrew Rains is uh, kind of on. I think I think it's Range Rovers right now. He uh, seems to hate himself uh, to the point of wanting to punish himself in one of those. Uh, it's but generally, uh, what you do with those, yeah. He's. I think he's he's convinced that uh, they can be reliable. So I guess he's got that
0: going for him. <laughs> It's know. like the opposite of most Toyotas, right? Like occasionally, Toyota throws a bad one. And then when you buy Range Rovers, Land Rovers in general, you're like, okay, I'm sure they've built a good one. I just have to get that one that's actually good.
1: So, to all of you who are just joining, because I'm seeing a few people just now joining, um, you can only see and hear me because I suck at tech. <laughs> and uh, I, I, can, I can show you Seth, I think. Actually, let me turn this around. That'll be much easier. There's Seth. Yeah, is- <laughs> oh, shoot. that is This is totally how I'm going to do it now. Screw that. All right. Well, now oh, now y'all I can at least see both of us. Yeah. Um. So Seth just said his worst car ever was an 87 Land Rover Range Rover because it was terrible. Uh, my worst car, I think is going to be the Subaru that I owned for um, two and a half years, I think, something like that. So the Subaru was a car, let's see if I can throw this sideways, maybe, nope. Um, <laughs> was a car, it's totally 100% a Subaru. Um, they took a normal Impreza wagon they put the they did have the steering rack out of the STI, I believe, and it had some weird like white and black seats because nothing screams luxury like white cloth seats. absolutely. Um, but it had a different headlights and tail lights, which I think looked way better than anything at the uh, at the moment. And uh, it was terribly boring. <laughs> There was, it it didn't do anything well it didn't get good gas mileage it wasn't fun to drive it had no power um and you really couldn't fit that much in the back like it was it was a cheap way to get into all-wheel drive but i don't i'm not convinced even up here in michigan that you really need all-wheel drive so there you go uh i think it was a tw- 2005. Saab 92X Linear is what it was
0: called. That's what it was. Are those the not turbo one, or was that a turbo? Non turbo. Non turbo. So that's like the arrow was the turbo. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's like you bought the worst thing you could buy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. We uh, traded that in and got the Honda Fit and much better decision. (laughs) Yeah. Good call. All right, so we did get a question uh, on Instagram here from AC ad eighty six a Cowden. I'm never quite sure how to pronounce people's screen names, so I apologize, but it's not your real name. If you could go back and drive in any motorsports era and class, what would you choose?
0: Oh, that's a tough question. That makes me want to have you answer the question first, uh, because one of us has to stop and think.
1: Well, it's it's tough because I'll I'll be honest. Like, I'm not much of a, I'm not well up on my historical racing series and stuff like that. I would, just off the cuff, like I love driving GLTC, and to be honest, like it's great, (laughs) Um, especially (laughs) for like the amount of money and like barrier to entries to get in and stuff like that. It's great. I think the only one that pops to my mind is my dad back in 19 at the end of 79 and then in the 1980 season and 1981 season. He raced with the SCCA in the Bilstein Cup which raced Volkswagen Rabbits around all the big circuits, so they went to Mid-Ohio, they went to Road America, they went to somewhere out in California. Uh, They went to Lime Rock, they went to a bunch of big tracks in these cars that could not get out of their way, I'm sure. (laughs) right? Um, Like to the wheels, 70 horsepower, yeah, Maybe? they make
0: fits. They make fits. Modern fits seem pretty quick.
1: Yeah, and they were supposed. I remember one thing my dad told me is you know you were supposed to keep the um, suspension bushings stock, but of course nobody did. They were using like <laughs> right. solid aluminum. I think <laughs> bushings on these things, and they were either like. Cutting rubber to go around them to make it look stock or like painting them black and basically just doing everything they could. Um, and it was, it was fun to see the times that I was getting at Road America compared to my dad's, um, my dad's VW. And it's a power track for sure. And this right. was last year before I K swapped, so I mean, I was had maybe 110 horsepower, but certainly more. And I was maybe, not to say it wasn't a lot, I was maybe 14, 15 seconds quicker than him around Road America. And that's
0: a big track. So that's not that much That's
1: not that much. And with tire tech, the way that it's gotten better too, like they were wheeling the snot out of those things. Yeah. So I think um, I think that for me was would be something I'd love to participate in just to see really uh, really what he could do behind a wheel. I think that would be great. What about you, Seth?
0: So I've been thinking about this. I'm trying to stay away from motorcycle eras since we're mostly like uh, car guys here. So I think my answer in the in the car racing era would have to be late seventies and early eighties IMSA, when the joke was that IMSA stood for International Marijuana Smugglers Association. Good days. When it was all, like like when guys would take a briefcase of cash and hand it to Porsche and get two brand new cars for the season, and Porsche would be like, cool, here's some cars, go race them. And it was all, like this is before we, we tried to be like moral about stuff, so it was it was. There's some amount of drug money funding it, and when it wasn't drug money, it was like cigarette money or alcohol money, and the entire industry was Playboys and funded by vices, and um, it was was like the Wild West of racing before everybody decided they wanted to calm down, and it was in many ways the last hurrah, the last greatest hurrah, and a lot of people think it was... You know, it... Yeah, that's that's what I think of as the last great hurrah of that sort of thing. Um, not the not the no rules type of racing that that we were having at the time either, because this was constrained by rules. They're all you know they were largely production cars and gentlemen racers, and it was just it was fantastic and wild. And I would have loved to be on the legal side of it. I don't want to be one of the guys who went to jail. Um,
1: sure. Nobody wants to a, go to jail.
0: No, that's a bad way to end your racing career. probably. but um, yeah, I would have liked to be around that that type of racing at that time. It seemed like it seems to me like there was it was fun. Like racing True. was fast and crazy, but everybody involved was always there to have a good time. And and that seems like something that's missing from modern racing because it's sometimes because it's very serious and sponsors and making people happy. And they're like, if you couldn't have a party and have a good time, you were doing it wrong. So that's my answer.
1: (laughs) All right. So we've got like four more questions here. You ready? Yeah. All right. Um, First two greater than four. When did you first beat your instructor, and was it a big deal for you?
0: When Seth? did I first beat my instructor? Um, I guess it would be an autocross thing. I'm not sure there was. Autocross. Yeah, it would. It would have been an autocross. It would have been people who who worked to try to make me faster, and I got faster than them. And I can't tell you exactly what instructor it was or, or what was going on. I, I mostly remember I finally got to the point where I was instructing other people and I was fundamentally faster than my students. Um, because I, I spent, actually I probably spent the majority of my autocross career being like middle speed. So the people who were always good in instructing me were always faster than me. And then I got to be medium speed, and then I instructed people, and then the people that I instructed got faster than me. And I actually remember that more than me being faster than anybody. Um, True. And I actually know who answered that question, and I know why he's answering it, because he can remember the exact event where we went and drove a car together. And I met him as one of my students, and uh, the last... Event I drove with him he beat me by like I don't know three tenths of a second in a car that he owned and it was uh, It was he was crushing yeah.
1: <laughs> I And I've never directly raced against uh, anybody who's coached or instructed me um, I've gotten some tips from Tom O'Gorman and um, I can't I can't say he's been like my coach nor can I say I've been anywhere close to beating him. I did, <laughs> I did, however, pass him on track in a GLTC race. Um, he was, however, driving one of the slowest, crappiest Red Miatas. Um, but I still passed Tom O'Gorman under green flag conditions in a were GLTC dis- race.
0: Were you distinctly aware of it when it was happening?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually... S- I actually shared with (laughs) i said (laughs) over the radio to becky i just passed tom o'gorman i don't care if it's not his car (laughs) super proud moment for me (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure he passed me back later that lap but still
0: whatever all right Uh,
1: um ethan on facebook asked how excited is becky with her new mazda very excited um uh, we put some new headlight bulbs in because uh, stock headlight bulbs are crap. And we, she bought a set of WeatherTech mats for the front because it just so happened to rain or uh, snow like the day after she got them. And she ordered a set of uh, winter tires that should be here. We're hoping tomorrow. Uh, to put on, because she is currently on tires that literally are called Douglas All Season. And they are I not don't, good. I don't know how you
0: could... Do you have a better, more appropriate tire than that? Douglas keeps you safe, maybe? I, I, w-
1: I would think I'd prefer the Mucho Macho over uh, over the <laughs> Douglas <laughs> oh, All Season.
0: Yeah, we, we all we all kind of want to be cool enough to drive around Mucho Machos, though. I... um.
1: All right. Next one. Uh, Will, one of my students, uh, I was his coach for the weekend at Road America, asked what car – oh, I guess this is for me, and you can answer it too. Uh, What car would you – I assume what car would you race in GLTC – Other than the Miata if you had to pick a platform. So, for me, I haven't given this a ton of thought, but I think I would probably, just off the top of my head, I would either go with one of the later generation Civic SIs that really are really close to the rule set out of the box.
0: The 8th Gen Civic Si that everybody's running? So, like Um, the one that Brian DeFreeze is running?
1: Or... No, no, like the newest one even. Okay. Um, if you had the money, I think that'd be a, a killer option. Otherwise, uh, S2000, they're just okay. so good, and you can also fit all the tire underneath those. Um, yeah, that'd be my twos. But what, up? Seth, what would you choose to run a
0: GLTC? I still want to someday build my Accord for GLTC, so a two-door 7th um, gen Accord Coupe. Um, I th- Obviously, it's a two-door because it's a coupe that's a little redundant. But I think that that platform still absolutely has potential in GLTC. Um, it's, it's fairly light. It's not a super heavy car. It's got double wishbones at the front. Um, the, link, the linkage at the back is is pretty good Honda linkage. You can fit mm-hmm. a reasonable tire underneath it. Um, It's a K motor car from the beginning, so swapping and building power, you know, building power right up to whatever your, you know, your power to weight limit is going to be, is not going to be a problem. And I think they have some pretty interesting potential aero advantages in that they have a really long nose. Um, so the nose out in front of the wheels is pretty long. So when you put a splitter out in front of it, you've got more... That splitter provides more leverage on the front of the car. And the same with the rear. Um, I think that... So it, it's an old enough car that the, the overhangs are longer. Mm-hmm. And I think... Lo- so you've got a shorter wheelbase in the overall length of the car. And yep. so that puts your wing farther back. In, yep. in, and it separates leverage. your arrow with the wheelbase. And I still think that... Theoretically, that car has potential to not suck. Um, it's sort of like if you look at uh, James Houghton's Acura. Sure. I think it's it's that, but everything about it is better. Um, because it's a, it's the same basic platform. It has the same it has the exact same suspension as his does. Yep. But the, the car he's, is. He's
1: in the TSX,
0: right? The TSX. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so your, mine I,
1: and your Accord is what year again? Remind
0: me. Mine's an '03, so it was the first year for that platform. 3 um,
1: two-door Honda Accord with the K yeah. motor.
0: Yeah, and actually, they would, it would be a little easier to start with an '05 because those are that's the first year they had um, uh, drive-by-wire throttle, so it makes swapping a little bit easier. So mine's uh, technically a little bit more difficult to do, but by the time you're doing a race car, it's not an issue anymore. Sure. Um, it's basically starting with that shell. That is the lightest, most aero shell that you that that suspension came under.
1: How so, much? How much does your car curb weight ballpark weigh?
0: It should be not stripped,
1: but just like street trim.
0: Street trim should be twenty three to twenty four hundred pounds.
1: Holy 23, 2400 pounds.
0: Yeah, so if you it's were not a heavy to car.
1: so if you were to strip it, like you could, you could get it light.
0: In street trim, it should be 800 pounds less than James Houghton's car was in street trim. Good Lord. Now, part of that's like, you know, his car came with the big heavy seats and the leather and everything else. But the shell yeah, but is several hundred pounds. The shell is several hundred pounds lighter.
1: So You may be, you may be onto something, man. That sounds cool.
0: <laughs> nobody's built a... F- I mean, people have run them in Time Attack and... Uh, it's just that you know how it is with whenever you're building that it's a combination of having the platform and going full tilt with a build yeah Um, and nobody's done that yet so I don't know if I'll be that guy but I still believe it could work that'd be cool All right, Jorge
1: asked how do you feel about the new Ozarks International Raceway track do you think it will be as hype as everyone thinks it's going to be um I looked at the layout. It looks super entertaining. Um, it's also kind of in a part of the country that could use a little bit more action, race car wise, and more racetracks. I think is always better for the sport. You know, we don't need fewer that get more attention. We just need more to get more people on track. Period. So um, the the biggest thing I've seen is really that management is good and not not just takes care of the place and keeps up on it but gets the kind of organizers and um, events going there that bring more attention to them and to the sport I'm excited what about you Seth
0: uh, yeah it looks like the the things that I've seen looks like it's one of those nice rolly natural terrain type tracks and I yeah. always love those um, I've, I've driven enough flat tracks to um, that I'm my life is complete with, with flat tracks with different amounts of turns on zero terrain. So anything that follows natural terrain makes me happy. Like you said, i, I it's it's an access thing. I hope we have events where um, more people can come and drive more, I want to say civic level drivers, but uh, I almost feel yeah. like there's there's enough places where if you and your g t three, buddies want to go drive, you can find a track to drive at, um, right. because that's just a matter of spending money. I think the number of places that you can go drive on a civic budget is smaller, and so I hope that those those events show up at that track. That would make me really happy.
1: Okay. Uh, and so... Chris Nonak asked on Facebook, Seth should try to explain why building a car in the parking lot at the Grassroots Motorsports Challenge is awesome to me through the phone, and then I should try to relay that to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I can do that.
1: Uh, Alright. Go, go step by step and I'll, I'll do my best to translate.
0: Grassroots Motorsports Challenge. Uh, build a car for $2,000 that the will drag race. Build car for $2,000. This is going to
1: sound terrible on the podcast.
0: <laughs> it will, but this is this is No Nona's fault. So the car, $2,000 has to drag race, autocross, and not look terrible.
1: Has to drag race, autocross, and look decent.
0: And they do it in the parking lot the night before an event.
1: Wait, what? This is yeah, a thing? Yeah, at the...
0: Hotel parking lot, night before an event. There's there's always a group of people that build a car for it in the hotel parking lot the night before the event.
1: Okay, so there's apparently a bunch of people who do this in the parking lot the night before the event because that's a thing.
0: Yes, and um, they're complete nut jobs and it's always fun because it seldom actually works. Like There's always the problems you have with the build Right. But by that point all the parts stores are closed And you're limited to what you have on hand So it's all about improvising
1: So you've got a bunch of crazy car people Throwing stuff together last second Like any normal build But they have no resources No parts store And they just have to figure it out And hope for the best
0: Yeah It's exactly as much fun as it sounds And, and then it's the an next autocross,
1: drag race
0: And a concourse
1: And a concourse <laughs> I'm kind and, of intrigued this, now
0: it, In the years I've been I've seen full motor swaps Yeah <laughs> Do people full come motor motor swap. with these? Like, Yeah so they come with a car And somebody else shows up with a motor And then restored. they do it in the parking lot That sounds kind of amazing I've seen cars Painted In the parking lot Basically at night And turn out pretty good
1: the, uh, I think, I think the magic, I would almost want to go like first year and just watch a team do it and just like cover that team, like do live videos and take some pictures and stuff and just see like logistics. Like how did you guys plan for this? Like just cause for me, like you've got four or five different people coming from different directions, all bringing different things and different skills to the parking lot the night before, A pretty serious event and do it
0: (laughs) you have you have completely figured it out that's why it's awesome you're there you already you figured it out so you nailed it i nailed it we nailed it together
1: (laughs) (laughs) there there you go uh hope uh (laughs) hope that worked out for you guys um (laughs) all right we got a Question from two greater than four again. Are cars and motorcycles art, tools, or both? Um, I think the easiest answer is both, but I think it depends on what what car and what motorcycle. Um, we just read a Speed Hunters article on a uh, BMW Cafe racer that had a completely new body built uh, on top of it, and it was definitely not for everyone, but it was gorgeous right. and certainly looked like something that would not be very comfortable and not something that um, maybe would even turn well. I really don't know. Maybe it'd be great, but it looked spectacular. Um, then you've got uh, just all out race bikes with like the little arrow winglets on front and all this stuff and <laughs> honestly like I don't think those are particularly good looking but they will go really fast on about any stretch of pavement you want it to go right. um, to be honest even same for my race car the Miata um, I don't think it's a very good looking car Um, I don't think it's bad but I don't think it's great looking but it it's a tool, and I've built it to um, to do the things that we need to do. I, we need it to drive on long periods of time on the highway, and we need it to go as fast as we can on track while still doing both of those things. I'm very attracted to cars that look good. Um, you know, the, the cars that, like, have hips in the back and the cars that... <laughs> are like have kind of squinty, narrow, angry looking eyes and uh mm. like the new Miata I think is a pretty good looking car. Uh the Jaguar F type, I think is a pretty good looking car. Um so yeah, I, I think it I think it's both, but I think it depends on what the car or bike was created to do. I I think I'd prefer a car that did both. Um but that's just so expensive or hard or something I just I don't think uh,
0: I, I think it's, it's excep- hard to do both It's exceptionally rare that something does both um, with again we have to go back to the period of time where like I think the cars that have done the best at doing both are some of the British touring cars um, so like proper box flare, yeah like you had some genuinely like by by any means they have stood the test of time um the m3s from that generation the super wide m3s and the even the the earlier the bmw the turbo bmws with the super huge wide flares and and so you've got some cars there that were that transcended the function to become art um but I think that's an that's a very very rare thing, and it's all it's it's even more rare for something to that you find beautiful today to still find it beautiful. Um, something that was built as a tool and still find it beautiful twenty or thirty or forty years after it was built to serve a purpose. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, yeah. And BMW's done the thing too, where they've done like art cars on some of their race cars. Right. And and I find those to be. Um, and I find those to be like if you were to take away the art portion I'm not sure the car itself would be anything spectacular but you make it a canvas and then I think it can become beautiful uh, but in a different way does that make sense?
0: it does yeah there's a lot of cars that if you strip even race cars that if you strip the livery off of them and you just painted it white would it be beautiful anymore? yeah And I think that's probably the true test. If you can look at a car sitting in white and have the fundamental lines of the car be beautiful, then it is beautiful. Um,
1: We've got two really good questions and that might bring us to about our time, but we'll see. Chandler asked, when or how did you make the decision to jump from HPDE to, he said wheel to wheel, but I'll just say any type of competition, Okay, uh, uh, that he's always struggled with promotion on the HPDE level and any tips on
0: when to move up? Seth. Um, I had somebody tell me, <laughs> basically. Tell you when to move up? Yeah, I was running HPDE with NASA, and um, the director of time trial was a good friend of mine, and really was the one who got me into it. And he literally went, "We need you to fill a class. Um, we need more cars in this class so that contingency will pay out." And he said, "He said we're gonna send you out. I'm gonna send you out for a check ride." Um, or I'm going to send you out and and people are going to check on you and make sure you know what you're going to do. We're going to promote you to TT and you're going to fill the class if you pass that. And, and that was it. And, and they went out and he sent a guy out in, uh, in a Mustang, like full on Mustang race car to come up behind me and scare the crap out of me and see how I was going to react to that. Yep. And apparently I did what I was supposed to do and I was promoted to time trial and, uh, then I was, <laughs> I I got my time trial license, Ta-da! That's
1: amazing. Um, and it's largely the same for me. Um, I mean, I was kind of working my way through the grid life H P D ranks, and um, you know, they announced the, G L T C, the formation of G L T C for the next season, and I had, uh, two of the grid staff tell me that's like, you should, you should do this. You're ready for this. I totally, I mean, I really wanted to, um, totally thought they were absolutely insane, but you know, kind of figured, I mean, I want to, and they're going to let me. So it's like, why not? Um, I'm, you know, I, I used to be a teacher. I, uh, like designing structures and, uh, forms to help people improve and get better and I really would like to see not like rigidity but structure in terms of if you're a beginner or HPD level one or whatever it is these are the competencies we want to see before you can move up to to the next level to intermediate or two or whatever it is um, which really for me at the beginner level is you need to be aware of the flag stations at all times. You need to demonstrate that you can play nicely with others on track and that you um, can handle your car. And that's ultimately it. Um, And I've seen people who can get that in one day. And I've seen people who take a few weekends or longer to do it. Right. but that every step of the HPD ladder, that there's a different set of skills that's not necessarily like, you need to go faster than this. You need to go sub two minutes here. Like I'm uninterested in that as an instructor. Um, but like you said, Seth, um, I would, I generally rely on the people around me who know me Know the car and are looking out for my best interest as a driver and the best interest of the group as well. Right, uh, and listen to them and trust them. So,
0: yeah, I I agree. I was because I was running with NASA at the time. They had a very good ladder structure, and I had been moved up into. They do, yeah. You know, D D for especially the group in Texas. Um, that I was running with, really good ladder structure. And they largely told me, you know, you are ready to do this now and uh, yeah. said, go do it. And I feel like that's kind of what they did for you with GLTC. This is coming up, you're ready to do it Yeah, and uh, and go for it.
1: There you go. There you go. Uh, next question from Chris Nonak. <laughs> again again (laughs) but it's a good question though all right he's a good guy I really like him how you do anything is how you do anything how you do everything is how you do anything is there an example of this that you noticed and changed so that it became how you used to do everything in order to improve Fantastic question. I really like this one.
0: Good. I'm going to let you answer it Uh, first while I think about my life.
1: So I guess my answer to Chris would be that it's something I'm still working on, but it's something I have identified as something that I want and need to get past in order to become an even better driver. And we've talked about it on the show a little bit, which was, um, the near incident at, uh, Road America in 2019, uh, heading into the kink in the middle and the sandwich of a three car train and not being able to see past the car in front of me because I was so close and it was so big and they did a full on brake light check. Going into the kink and scared the ever living crap out of me. <laughs> um, not a, I mean it's just not a good place to break, and let alone, I couldn't see past him, and I had a car right on my butt, and it mentally ruined that race for me. I was pissed. I was scared. I was upset. I could not get my head back in that race and uh, certainly demonstrated kind of the, my tendency towards anxiety and ruminating on things, which ruminating is essentially just doing these vicious circles in your head that you can't get out of. I'm pissed because this happened. Well, since that happened, it's going to keep going badly. Well, it's going to keep going badly because that did bad happen. That, it, it just keeps going around and you can't get out of it. Um, and I've gotten a lot better at kind of being in the moment, uh, letting things that happen on track just at happened, and I need to be where I am now, focus on that. We can deal with the rest later if we need to. Um, but I think that's going to be a lifelong, uh, <laughs> lifelong struggle and lifelong work for me. Uh, but I think I've made some progress this year. But I've had some examples this year too, where it's taken me half a lap, lap, lap and a half, even um, to get my head back into it. Uh, but it's something I'm becoming ever more aware of, and I'm getting quicker to get refocused. So I think it's something I'm in the middle of. I guess is my best my best answer for you.
0: If you told me you had mastered it, I'd called you a liar anyway, and that wouldn't have mattered what your what the question was. So
1: I. <laughs> that's, that's why you're a good friend,
0: Seth. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, um, I think I have a, sort of a lifelong problem um, hopping. Well, a lot of us do this, but I like shiny new things. Um, shiny new is my favorite. Like whatever is the shiny new thing is my favorite thing. Mm. And so you, you learn something new and you, you make progress with it and you get better until your sort of medium ability... And then it gets hard. And then when it's hard, it seems like it's not much fun. And then you go find something else shiny and new to do. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's two aspects with that that I'm trying to do better about. The first mm-hmm. is saying to myself, that's okay. Um, there's nothing mm-hmm. that I do for fun that I need to do for the rest of my life. If it's not fun anymore, I don't have to keep doing it Um, in in being fair with myself and saying and saying that's okay having done it was worthwhile I don't need to keep doing it for it to be worthwhile and the second part of that is identifying when that is coming and finding a way to extend hopefully infinitely the idea that this is fun without burning myself out on it. To the point where, you know, the idea of going and, and doing a thing again is just like, oh, it's the worst. I don't want to do it. Um in almost everything I've done, whether it be skiing or rock climbing or even autocross and rally cross and track days, I, I get to the point where I'm I'm semi-burned out on it and I I can't decide if it's fun anymore, and so I'd rather go do something else instead. Mm. And the farther along I go in my life, the better I am at at identifying that. I actually extended autocross out for years and years and years by not, I don't want to say not being serious about it, because I've always thought of it as, as a pretty serious sport, that the seriousness is important to a lot of people, and I respect that in them but I can go and drive around in a parking lot and have a good time without it being serious to me while still respecting other people's seriousness. And that has kept it a fun sport for me. And um, now that I'm riding motorcycles, similar type of thing. I have to understand that I'm in my mid-40s riding motorcycles with children. And if I can't go out there and have fun I really should not be on that track with those people. Um, I yeah. should get done with a race and say that was a good time. I'm glad I did it, and I want to do it again. And I should figure out how to be in that headspace yeah. when I'm out there. And I'm much, much better at it than I was in in my 20s and 30s.
1: You you drop some real wisdom right there. Hope uh, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to listening <laughs> to this podcast to hear that again. To be honest, so. All right, and for all of you on watching this live, um you have to listen to it because you can't hear it anyway. so <laughs> you could see him if you're on Instagram. If you're on Facebook, I don't know why you're still watching. This is terrible. I'm sorry.
0: yeah, whatever
1: i'll 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 dig into this eventually at some point we'll uh we'll try to do a another better version maybe.
0: <laughs> we'll do better next time, one of those things?
1: Sure. Well, and we can always tell people that, and that will bring people into, well, if they just had these things, they'd be really good, but we just never get there. But we always have the promise that if we did, we could hope. be really good.
0: We have to leave our listeners and ourselves with
1: hope. Yes. I mean, that's that's really more, the only thing more powerful than being good is having the promise that we might be good someday.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, anyway, I think that's uh, that's a podcast. So thank you to everyone who uh, actually watched this thing live and uh, submitted some questions. Appreciate it. Made it a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit fun for us. So we'll, uh, like I said, we'll try to maybe do this better, maybe someday.
0: Uh, something. It was like fun that. anyway. I think it was worth doing.
1: And uh, <laughs> I did. Um, Facebook friend just noted uh noted that I'm watching because my 3-year-old is your biggest fan after watching Nola because apparently the Miata is the only car she can identify and so I was her ipso facto uh hero of <laughs> of that and I totally totally take that. I I would love to be I'd love the to fan
0: club starts with one person, right? Like that's all of the great racers' fan clubs. Do it for the start kids. Start with. I mean, Lewis Hamilton had one guy, right? And he was like, one person was like, "I'm going to be Lewis Hamilton's biggest fan." And now look at the fan club he's got. So, you know, there you go. take take what you can get.
1: There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if you're watching, you probably already know. But if you're listening to this on uh, whatever podcast that you listen to. Uh, We are on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. Feel free to always submit questions, topics, things like that. Um, And leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. It really does help kind of bump us up and make it easier for everybody to search. And we will look forward to talking to you next week. We've got a, a, a notable guest that we're gonna record with next week. You won't hear probably for uh, a few weeks after that, but we're very excited. Very excited. Anyway, so for both of us, Uh, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We are track walking. Have a great week.